Brain Over Belly podcast, solving the puzzle of obesity with Dr. David Brown of Idaho BMI. COVID taught us how important our weight and mental health are, but the greatest lesson might be how much they're connected. Listen as Dr. Brown explains how weight loss directly helps anxiety, depression, and PTSD. Here's your host, Rick Dunn. We're back again, back, ready for some fun. We've got Dr. Brown in studio. Hello, Dr. Brown. How are you, Rick? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? I'm great. Uh, We're talking about mental health with Dr. Brown today, how anxiety, depression, and PTSD and obesity feed off of one another, how one can cause the other, and how bariatric surgery plus the principles Dr. Brown has his patients practice after can dramatically improve your mental health and transform your life. If you have mental health issues, are you at greater risk of struggling with obesity? So that really brings up the classic question, uh, you know, which came first, the horse or the buggy? That's the, the chicken question. Chicken or the egg. Right. Okay. <laughs> Same thing. So if we go f- ask a different question, what do we know? We know that if you do these brain scans, functional MRI, PET scans, people who struggle with obesity, their brains are different on these brain scans compared to people who are normal weight. So the classic question is, well, is it abnormalities in a person's brain that is causing the obesity, or is it the obesity driving these changes in the brain? And what do we know about that? (laughs) Uh, A lot of unanswered questions, but there has been research that I think uh, tells us a lot to answer that question. There was a study a few years ago published looking at adolescents uh, who struggle with their weight and changes that happen in the brain actually in the moment that they're eating different foods. It's a fascinating study. Hmm. Uh, So what these researchers did, they sat these kids down, they, you know, were utilizing these brain scans, but they had them eat different types of foods. And what they found was that, you know, and, and you and I have talked a lot about hyper palatable foods and engineered foods. Yeah. Well, it turns out that when these adolescents, when these kids ate those foods, what they found is that neurologically, uh, these kids became more impulsive in the moment. Hmm. Uh, There's a a concept called reward discounting. Um, And that is, and we're all familiar with this, that, gee, I really want that cookie. Yeah. I'd like to eat that cookie. Is it worth it for me to eat that now and forfeit the long-term or longer-term benefit of eating healthy? Right. Um, well, the process of saying, well, bag it, I, I don't really care enough about the long-term benefit. I'm going to go ahead and have the cookie. That's called reward discounting. Okay. Um, and I have a cute story of actually one of my daughters uh, who is our cerebral. She's our disciplined... A hardworking kid uh, when she was I think she was a junior in high school and I came home one day and walked walking through the kitchen I think and there she was doing her homework you know I never had to say a word to her uh, about homework anything like that she just did it she just that did was, it that was part of who she is yep 100% and I made the comment I said you know I've known a lot of people in my lifetime and I got to tell you you are the one of the most disciplined and dependable uh, responsible 
persons I've ever known. What a compliment yeah. from dad. I thought so. <laughs> and she said, thank you. And I, I asked her, why is that? And she said, well, I just know that the 30-year-old me is depending on the 16-year-old me to do this work. So that's the opposite of reward discount. Yes. And I was You've done impressed. a great job. Uh, well, look well, at you, you patting yourself uh, on the back. <laughs> from the mouth of babes. I was stunned in the moment. Wow, that's, that's really good. Yeah, no kidding. So that's the opposite of reward discounting. Oh, yeah. The bottom line is these researchers showed that in the moment of eating these hyperpalatable foods, uh-huh. what they saw in brain activity uh, reflected what we know about impulsivity. Eating those foods... The way the neurotransmitters and the brain circuitry, the way it was affected in the moment made those kids more impulsive. In other words... So they want to eat the cookie then, Yes, but it was a progressive thing. In other words, in the moment, they became more likely to make the bad choices maybe and to forfeit the longer-term good results. So how does the struggle with obesity... How does that affect your mental health? Again, it's the same question. Well, which comes first? And it turns out that, so anxiety and depression, most common issues in the mental health arena, those problems and obesity come from the same fundamental issues in a person's brain. Um, that's what it all, that's where all the arrows point to right now with the research. In other words, there are two different manifestations of the same fundamental problem. And so if you think about this, as far as turning these problems around by, if we are successful in treating one of, of those areas or problems, say obesity, there's a very good chance we can make improvements or also reverse the mental health issues and vice versa. So it's um, it's interesting to think about that because a lot of people when they're going through mental health, I think they feel that it's an emotional thing. Maybe it's something that's wrong with them. They can fix this. But you're saying that there's also a chemical aspect to this. Is that true? Yes. In the sense of neurotransmitters, in other words, chemistry in the brain, uh, it's, I would argue it's it's more neurology than anything. So Anxiety, depression, PTSD, that is neurological more than anything else. And the same is true of obesity. And it turns out that the underlying neurological or brain circuits that are driving anxiety and depression and PTSD are the same brain circuits driving obesity. I'm guessing that a lot of your patients struggle with mental health. Yes. What... What do you tell them? How do you have that conversation? What's it like? I really enjoy this interaction, this type of interaction with my patients, and it happens all the time because, quite honestly, I've learned more from them in this than maybe any other source. Um, So, you know, obviously when someone comes in, they are coming in thinking, well, I'm going to get help with my weight. I struggle with weight, I struggle with obesity, I want to reverse this and I want to get some help. And uh, very often in that context, when I talk about the neurological nature of obesity, um, that sort of opens a door because inherent in that message is the idea that, well, wait a minute, it's not really 
your fault in the way that you think it is. And the response from people very often, uh, you can just tell that you're opened, you've opened a door with them yeah. that's very different from what they've ever heard before. So when you think about something that's tangible, when your patients are sitting down with you and, and there are, there, I know we've had discussions about tangible things that you ask your patients to do to help with their eating, which also could maybe help with their mental health. And I'm talking about like the bites, how many bites, all of those types of things. Does that work into helping with their mental health at all? So, yes. Um, and you and I have talked about this a lot as far as what we eat. We got to cut out certain foods, engineered, hyper palatable foods. And people need to listen to their bodies and only eat when they're hungry. And then there's that mechanical, hyper-mechanical method of eating where they do three things. They, they count as they chew. They right. actually time a break between bites. And then, then they focus their attention as much as they can on sensory signals going from the body to the brain. And bariatric surgery works primarily, at least from one perspective, because it, is, it resets all that sensory Signaling well, to that's the one of the questions I was going to ask. Why is it we need bariatric surgery and then we get into those things? But you have talked about that a lot, about how that kind of resets everything, gives you a fresh start. Right. The operation, just the nature of it, what we're doing with the stapler and the stomach, um, it is resetting the signals to the brain from the organs in the abdomen. And if we know what we're doing, we can use that, those reset signals to drive this process of neuroplasticity or changing the brain. So so as a person is doing the counting as they chew and they're timing the break and all these things, neurologically, um, what's happening in the brain is very similar to what's happening in the brain when people do classic uh, interventions to treat anxiety and depression, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy, EMDR, and many people I'm sure will be familiar with those things, but those are very sort of technical, mechanical exercises that people do to retrain their brain and to help them improve their symptoms of anxiety, depression, PTSD. So there's so much overlap. A good argument could be made that we're targeting the very same thing. And in my practice, it's, in the, it's the context of helping people with their weight <sighs> and metabolism. But the crazy thing, the wonderful thing is that we're also... Um, directing or affecting symptoms of anxiety and depression. So everything you teach, I mean, it's a, it's a double whammy. You, you, you get to lose weight. But I know, I've always noticed that, and I like this, that you've never been really focused on exactly like how much you weigh or how much you're going to lose. It's really about becoming a better person overall as a whole, not just physically, but mentally as well. Yes, but ner from a neurological standpoint, and sorry to nerd out so often on you, but... No, no, I like it. <laughs> you know, if a person is only eating when they're hungry, they're listening to their body. Yes. And all this stuff as they eat, again, it's a focus of attention on signals within the body. And if you look at the classic treatments for mental health diseases, you know, it's like meditation, it's meditation is doing the same thing in the brain, and it's incredibly powerful. And there's a growing body of uh, scientific literature demonstrating how powerful meditation is. Is there any, and you don't have to name names because I know some, you, you got the whole doctor-patient privilege thing, right? Yep. Or confidentiality, whatever yes, of course. it's called. Um, 
do you have any patients that you think back and you could tell us maybe some something about their story that uh, not only were they on, on a road to lose weight, but they were on a road to having a, a whole lot better life as far as mental health? Yes. So several examples. One that to me is very profound is uh, a guy who was in the military and he after his service in the military he suffered from PTSD and he went through a period in his life where he was numbing the pain whatever you want to call it with substances alcohol and other drugs and really struggled with that well at one point he quit He, he was able to clean up as far as drugs and alcohol and that's when he started gaining weight and became what we term morbidly obese 20 years later I meet him and he goes to the program and he has surgery well I saw him 8 weeks after his operation in the clinic and we went through the okay the nutrition liquids all those things answering questions looking at incisions and he looked at me and said so I just got to tell you something really strange is happening and I said what and he said you know, I've had PTSD for 25 plus years and I've, there was always a void in my life and I was trying to fill that void with substances, whether it was drugs, alcohol, or eventually food. Right. Eight weeks after this operation, I don't feel that void and I feel so calm and the people closest to me have made several comments that, look, you're different, you're, you're calm, you're not freaking out all the time. Uh, and then we had the big conversation about some of this, where all these things are pointing to, whether, you know, nutrition and all these practices neurologically, and that not only was he losing weight, but he was experiencing this sense of calm as a result of doing this stuff. Like changed his personality. Yeah. For the better. Yes. <laughs> that's the hope. But yes, that's what we see quite consistently in folks who have a background uh, struggling with anxiety, depression, or PTSD. What else have we learned about the relationship between food, appetite and mood, and self-image? It, fascinating. We live in an absolutely amazing time. There's a whole field developing um, called nutritional psychology that is addressing, attempting to address that very question. Um, and we know more and more now that, that the food that we eat not only affects our diabetes and weight and all those things but of course the our brains and how we see ourselves and um even our self-identity so if you go back to that study on you know i called it reward discounting the kids and they're eating the the engineered hyper palatable foods and they become more impulsive well you think about what's going on with in that kid's mind as far as how they see themselves you know, it's happened so quickly, but what they're, they decide to eat the cookie and yeah. they become more impulsive. Well, in, in that process, they are also engaging their self-identity at some level. In other words, they're developing that perspective of themselves that, well, I give in. Well, I, I don't have willpower. Right. I don't have discipline. Mm-hmm. I'm a bad person. Right. Um, and it's that cumulative repetitive behavior that leads a person down that pathway of of developing this negative life story along with the other stuff in life you know 
so many experiences when we're young, we make big decisions about ourselves at very young ages based on those sort of random experiences in the way we interpret the world. So there's those early life experiences as well as the problems with weight and these neurological changes in the brain that are happening when we eat these foods. It's sort of all coalesces or comes together ultimately in a person having negative thoughts and feelings about themselves. We, uh, we talked last episode about how it's possible to rewrite your life story. I think, was that the one where you actually shared your, was it a mantra or what did we call that? I can't remember I what, what you call it. I call it personal power statement. Personal I, power statement. Something like that. Which we squeezed it out of you. Uh, I couldn't believe that. Uh, I've thought about that since. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I was impressed with that. So remind us what people can do to rewrite their life story. So the anecdote, one of the tools, and it's interesting, uh, there's a researcher named Andrew Humerman. He's out of Stanford, and he's done just great research. And if you think about fear, it's sort of the same idea as a negative. You know, when we experience something uh, that's scary, there's negative emotion and negative thoughts. Right. Right. He's shown from a neurological standpoint when a person, say there's something scary in front of you. Actually walking towards that scary thing diminishes the neurological driver of fear. And the interpretation... I can see that, yeah. It, that makes sense to me. Okay, yeah. Okay. I think, you know, the, the whole idea of facing scary life experiences, um, and that's sort of where confidence comes from, is doing difficult things. And It's almost the uh, the thought is worse than the deed type of thing, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, so at at one level, I think facing some scary things in our lives, whether it's our weight or diabetes or whatever, is one way of opening the door to changing things. Um, but as we've talked about, there are several tools we have. And of course, bariatric surgery is one of those tools from a neurological standpoint. But also the idea of developing a personal power statement and working on the habit of simply recognizing when we are thinking and feeling negatively about ourselves, when that narrative in our head turns negative. And at that moment, pulling in this personal power statement about our potential and, and what we can become and, and what we are becoming, that's part of it. And again, it's a, it is a very repetitive practice. And over time, as we practice these things, we change that narrative so it's, you know, it's the personal power statement. It's changing the food that we are consuming. You and I have also talked about this idea of resonance breathing, you know, breath work. There's a lot of different ways what of doing What was that this. again? I mean, real quick. I know so we're not going to... Resonance breathing, it, it, it's the idea of doing two things at the same time. One is to pace one's breath. And what I teach my patients is to take five seconds precisely to breathe in, five seconds to breathe out. So they're timing, they have a little timer or stopwatch or something, they're timing their breath. The second thing they do is they focus their thoughts and emotions on gratitude, compassion, forgiveness, these types of thoughts and emotions. And it sounds, again, sounds sort of hokey, but there's a lot of research showing it has a very profound effect neurologically on a person. 
Well, I remember we, when we talked to Mona, who's one of our uh, two people we're following here in the Treasure Valley, she talked about how she uses that to go to sleep at night. Yeah. And it helps her with her sleep. Yeah, there, there's a lot of areas in our lives where this type of simple exercise can help. And yeah, it was wonderful to hear from Mona, uh, her experience with it and how it's changed yeah. her sleep. But it's it's doing these small, simple things consistently that really allows a person to change the way they see themselves in a very profound way. This may be a, a repetitive question, but I just want to make sure that we kind of drive this home. When people who choose bariatric surgery and practice the principles that you've been talking about here today, when they do all of those things, what happens in their brains? From a nerve, well, that's a... That's a, Is that a, a loaded great question? Qu- it's an awesome question. Oh, good. And, and <laughs> there's some amazing answers. I came answers. up with one good one then, right? No, no, no. <laughs> They're all good. So, several different things to, to say. Uh-huh. First, it, it, brain scans show us that the brains of patients who undergo bariatric surgery become bigger. Mm-hmm. White matter, gray matter grows after bariatric surgery. And that is almost certainly a result of these neurological changes that you and I have talked about. So we know that. Their brains get bigger. Cognitive measures actually change after bariatric surgery too. And so you can look at memory and there's several different, I think we've talked about this, but there are several different ways or different parts of cognition or brain function uh, to look at. And there are a lot of them that get better after bariatric surgery. And it's just a fascinating idea. So, so there's that level to look at. The brains of individuals do change after bariatric surgery. So there's this magical window of time, about six months after surgery, where there's this neuroplasticity. The brain is very malleable. And the, the wonderful thing is if we know what we're doing and are willing to implement some daily habits, we can, to some degree, direct those changes in the brain to a place where a person is literally a different person, not only from a weight perspective or metabolism perspective, but with self-identity, which genes are activated in their body, which genes are deactivated, which circuits or programs in the brain are, are really in control and sort of guiding the way. So fundamentally, uh, to answer your questions, yeah. A lot changes in the brain after bariatric surgery. And again, I would drive home the point that it is, it is our greatest tool, is our brain. And the way to optimize the results of bariatric surgery is to recognize this and to implement those daily habits that are going to direct that, the, or those changes in the brain. So if somebody is checking out Brain Over Belly for the very first time and they've, maybe they've missed the other podcast or some of the um, blogs that we put together... Uh, we've just heard how it changes the brain. What is this going to do for a person when they step out into real life? We know that it's going to help them lose weight, but what are all of the things? I, I guess you can't list off all of the things, but we even talked about Mona with her sleep. It helps her with her sleep. What is somebody going to expect when they come and sit down with Dr. Brown? They go through this process. They come out the other side. What is the goal? What I see when people do this consistently, these things that I nag people about every time, what they're eating, when, the water, all of it, the counting, the timing. What I see is sort of, it really, it is a blossoming. In other words, very often people will make 
the comment to me that I, I feel like this is the real me. Yeah. In other words, they've been hiding behind this suboptimal, sheltered uh, persona as a result of their weight and everything else going on. And that's what we see is that people gain confidence in themselves. And it's not just because they've lost weight, but they see themselves differently. And they're, it's all, again, it's all about human potential. And a person discovering or rediscovering what their potential is, that's the greatest thing to me. It's magical, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts before we kick you out of here? <laughs> Uh, it's been a great discussion on mental health Uh, losing weight obviously seems to be the number one goal for a lot of people that come in and sit down with you but mental health is a big thing a lot of people talking about mental health now and I'm glad people are because it's a serious issue and um, yeah I don't know do you have any final thoughts yeah so this last year with the COVID shutdown uniform almost uniformly everybody has gained some weight and the prevalence or the rates of anxiety and depression have increased dramatically. I don't think we've ever seen such a rapid increase in those problems, especially among adolescents. Um, and I would just point out that those two things are related. Weight gain, increase in anxiety and depression. Um, they're related neurologically and they're related to the food that we're eating. And so um, the one thought is there's hope. We, we, we are learning a lot about how to reverse engineer these problems. And it just takes some curiosity and uh, reaching out for help. Dr. Brown, it's been a pleasure. Again, thank you so much for coming in. We will see you next month. Yes. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your time.